I gladly accept it. I wanted to be able to share with you guys what God, some of the stuff that God's been talking with me and, and kind of giving me and everything else. And so I was excited. So I started praying, what, what, Lord, what can I share with them? I started going over old notes. Lord, what can I share with them? I started going through my daily reading. Lord, what can I share with them? And all this, is, as I'm doing all this, the days are passing and everything is going on. And I'm saying, Lord, what can I share with them? I walked in here Sunday morning. And you know what I said? Lord, what can I share with them? So I'm starting to get a little nervous at this point. But then all of a sudden, that still small voice came up in, in me and it said, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Yes, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Second Timothy one seven. Now the small voice didn't give me the address, but it did give me the word, okay? Okay. So now as I'm sitting here Sunday, and we shouldn't have been in here Sunday because, you know, we weren't planning on being here Sunday, but we happen to be in here with Pastor, and Pastor was teaching, and we're sitting here, and, and, and as he's teaching, he gets to Second Samuel 21, I mean 24, 21. He starts reading, and is talking about, he's talking about David and how David could be someone who God held in such high esteem, even though David was someone who messed up. Okay, he messed up, he messed up, he messed up some more. But God said that, you know, he was perfect. He, he was the ultimate worshiper. So when he got to this, he started reading, and he said, Then Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And, and David said, To buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arana said to David, Let, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrificing, sacrifice and threshing implements and the yoke of oxen for wood. And these, O king, Arana has given to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Arana, and this is my part, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. And David bought them, and David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord healed, heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn. Now, God's been dealing with me, or it has been dealing with me for a long time, about the whole subject of worship and not just having worship being an event or something you do, but being a lifestyle being something that is marked by your entire life. Your life is, is a life of worship. So when I heard this, it kind of rose up inside of me that the subject of this is going to be, what's it worth to you? All right, so we got to do first things first, right? What is it? We can't know what it's worth until we know what it is, right? So what it is is a relationship or our relationship with God. So what is our relationship with God worth to us? 
So to start at the beginning, we're going to go and, and let's hear what Jesus had to see, say about first things being first. And this is one of my favorite verses anyway. But if we go to Matthew 22, 36 through 38. And this is Jesus when he's confounded the Pharisees and Sadducees again and everything else. And one of these guys who was a teacher comes up to him and he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, my sister's not here. But if my sister was here, she'd be quick to point out, yeah, 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 but the second part of that verse, or the second part of that is. Okay, so the second part comes in, and we've got to go, and we've got to hit uh, 39 through 40. And the second is like it. You shall, love the, your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet, which is good. All the law and the prophet. But it occurs to me that we can't move on to the second till we've laid hold on to the first, till we've apprehended it, till we've grabbed it, till we put, till we put it in our toolbox and we work with it a little bit. You know what I mean? Because if we really don't know what it means to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, we're going to have a problem when we come comes time to translating that love to our neighbor. Because what happens is a lot of people get the whole thing twisted. They want to do it the way they want to do it, but it's not God's way. So we've got to first find out what it is that God wants from us. Now, also if you look at when Jesus quoted the first set of verses, he's just referring back to Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6.5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, that's God saying that. He didn't get around to your neighbor thing yet. Okay. He wants you to get a hold of loving him. Okay. See, because once you get that agape love that he has for us, and how he wants to pour it out for us. And you work that relationship thing. See, and we got guys, we got women here, which is good, but women are usually better with the relationship thing. But relationships aren't instant things. You have to work with relationships. You don't just have a relationship because you want to have a relationship. Okay? When you look at Jesus and his disciples, before they went out and had power and, and did great miracles and great works and everything else, they had to have relationship with Jesus. They spent time with him. You know, and I know we're in the church. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see miracles. We want to see the anointing. We want to see all these things move and everything else. But before all these things can move and do all of this stuff, we got to get a hold of loving God and making him the priority before all that we do. Now, God shows, his, shows us his love time and time again. But when we choose to turn our back on him, he lets us go. Okay? Through this, we have a chance to find out what love is like or what life is like without God. 
See, God's idea and his plan is always to bring us back into relationship with him. When we look at the, what in essence is the whole Old Testament, we see the story of God loving his people and loving his people and loving his people and his people turning their backs on God. And God says, well, look, you, if you do this, 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 this is what you'll get. If you do this, don't know what to tell you. It's not going to work out very good for you. But you know what? Each time he says it, the people go and they do their own thing. And ultimately, God's got no choice but to say, guess what? You reap what you sow. Now, if we look at the example from the New Testament, that would be our example from the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11 through 19. Then he, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. I got to stop a second. <laughs> All right, so he's got two sons. And clearly this first one ain't that great because he's saying, Dad, I want what's mine. I want my inheritance. But there's one problem with the inheritance thing. To get an inheritance, you've got to be, or someone's got to be. Somebody got to be dead, right? Dad ain't dead. And son's saying, look, I want my inheritance. So in other words, he's kind of saying, I wish you were dead, Dad, so I could take what I could get. Yeah, that's... Okay. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. In other words, he acted buck wild. He had a bunch of boys. Everybody was spending. You, you, know, you know Pookie and them, how they want to be your friends when you got all the money, right? They want to be right up on you. It's, it's party time, and the party is on him. It's on him, okay? So they spent all this riot, had all this riotous living going on. And the problem with that was, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Now, for a young Hebrew boy, that's about the worst thing you can ever have to do, is hang around some swine. Okay, he's going and feeding the pigs, and it's so bad that he's feeding the pigs, but it said, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. All right, so not only is he feeding them, he's ready to get down in the trough with them, okay, and finish up what they're not going to do. And no one gave him anything. But here's the part. But when he came to himself, When he came to himself, when he realized where he was and what was going on, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, that's a mouthful. But one thing you notice, clearly his father loved him so much that he was willing to divide all that he had and give his son his inheritance. 
and let him go. But the father didn't go after him. Dad didn't give him a few days and run down to the far country and see how his boy was and say, you all right, you know, maybe you should come on back. Maybe you should do this. Maybe, you know, what his father did this. Father went. He took his hands off of him. Okay. His father said, you know what, son? Your bed. Lying. And that's what happened. But when he came to himself, see, God always wants to call us back to himself. He always wants that repentance. He's always waiting for us to repent and come back to him. Always. See, God loves us so much, or he loves us too much, I'm sorry, to leave us in our mess. (laughs) All right? And God will not bless our mess. Okay, a lot of times we want God to bless our mess. Lord God, I know, you know, what I did, I had did and I had done. And, but can you just bless it and make it all all right? Uh, doesn't work quite like that. He will not bless our mess. Okay, but we see that a holy God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. Anything that is against his will will always be called up to his standards. In Leviticus 11.45, it says, For I am the Lord who brings you up up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. He always calls us to his standards. Get out the gutter. Come on up a little higher. And then again in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, he said, But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, the word for holy in the Greek is hagias. Almost, that's as close as I'm going to get. Okay, the definition or Strong's definition is its fundamental idea is separation, consecration, devotion to the service of deity, sharing in God's purity and abstaining from the earth's defilement. That's what God calls us to, to be separated. The idea of sanctification. We might not be there now, but we're working at going to where we need to go. And that is sanctification and being holy because God is holy. Now, for the past couple of weeks, a pastor's been teaching on trying to do something the world's way and get godly results. How many of us have we tried to do that before? Okay. That ain't going to work. Or I'm sorry, that is not going to work. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll try to, you know, somebody, else, somebody else might hear this but the folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not going to work. See, because a holy God, or or as we approach a holy God, we have to do it in a way that is honoring to him. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been kidnapped by crazy? You don't know kidnapped by crazy? Wait, okay, kidnapped by crazy is when 
you got someone that you care for, you love, it's part of the family, whatever else, and they want to do something. And you know what they want to do, ain't right? You know it's not of God. You know that, as they say, nothing good can come of this. But what do you do? You go along with them anyway because you're kidnapped by crazy. Okay? You're kidnapped by crazy. You're going along with them because I just want to make it all right. And I'll do what I have to do to make it all right. But that doesn't work. See, what God does, he never gets kidnapped by crazy. Okay? He sticks to the playbook. He sticks to what he has said. This is the way it works. This is the way it's going to work. And guess what? Here we go. Either you do it my way or you face the consequences. Our relationship with God is strengthened through our worship or worthship. Now, you guys have heard me talk about worthship before. It's one of my favorite subjects, worthship. Because worthship or worship comes from the old English word worthship. It means to ascribe value to something or someone. So in other words, if we're worshiping God, we're actually ascribing worth to him. Hence, what is it worth to you? What is your relationship worth to you? What is your worship to God? How much does it mean to you? See, it's a perspective thing. It's like when you have problems and people blow their problems up instead of realizing their God is so much bigger than their problems. When you start to worship God the way he is to be worshipped, when you realize who he is, it's perspective. All the other things in life pale by comparison. All the other things that we get so hyped on. You know, sometimes we, we worry about, am I, going, am I worshiping God like I should? Am I demonstrative? Am I talking? Am I singing? Am I shouting? Well, the thing is, anything that we are enthused about, we have no problem talking about. We have no problem tweeting, Facebooking, anything else that we're hyped about. All right, we got foodies in here, right? How many of our, the foodies, foodies, people who like food to the point where they watch TV shows about food, <laughs> they, plan, they plan their trips on the restaurants where the food is, <laughs> they think about what they're going to have for their next meal, okay? what they're going to cook, that's a foodie. Okay? All right. So when you're a foodie, you don't have any trouble going through all this. So instead of being foodies, we should all be goddies. Okay? Let God be enlarged in our own mind. We don't have to, we can't blow him up because he's already as large as he could be, but we need to get that sense of who he is and how great God is. Once again, it's a perspective thing. In Proverbs 8:17, it says, I love those who love me, 
and those who seek me diligently will find me. God says, I love those who love me. How's that? That a holy God would love jacked up me. But all I have to do is get myself in line with loving God. And he loves me. Now, okay, I got it, I got it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God loves everybody. But God got a special thing for his people. Okay? Not your people, but for his people. God's got a special thing. He loves you in a special way. See, that love he has for the world is just so they will get to being his people. God loves us in a crazy way. Now, we worship by faith. If we look at Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Let me stop there for a second. For those who come to God must believe that he is. We're in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame, of faith. All right. We must believe that he is and who he is and what he is and how much he is. And on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Once again, when we go beyond just hanging out, when we give something, in our worship beyond just the periphery with what's easy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been known to be a little thrifty. I like a bargain, okay? I like a bargain. If I could get something on the cheap, you know what? I'm about it. Matter of fact, my best line, should I say, you know what? See, my wife's wagging her head. She knows where I'm going. Is I'm buying, I ain't begging. Okay, I'm a consumer, but I so I want to get a deal. But if something is worth something to me, how much will I pay for something that is of great worth to me? You know, there's a parable of of that pearl of great value, but that was of so much value that dude found it hit it again, went away, and bought the field, okay? He didn't just grab the the pearl and go, oops. (laughs) He went back and bought the whole field just so he could get that pearl of great worth. See, that's what our relationship with God is about. That's what that value uh, of our worship is about, how much God really, really is worth to us. So let's let's talk a little bit about the cost of worship. Because once again, if David wouldn't worship with something that didn't cost him, what's it going to cost us to worship God? It needs to cost us something. 
And I have here, and I've got, and you guys could probably come up with more stuff, but, you know, this is not an all-inclusive list, but this is my list. <laughs> I get to stand up here today, so this is my list, okay? My list. The first thing on my list I have is it's going to cost you a change of mind. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. See, we can't think the same way that we used to think before we were God's people. And sometimes it, it kind of gets me because you hear God's people thinking like the world. Now, I know all of us, you know, we don't have to get up and put our flesh suits on each day because we already got them on. But we have to be clothed in righteousness. So we have to change our mind as to what we think about, what we do, how we continue to lead our lives. The second cost I have here, it's going to cost you a change in behavior. And we're back in Colossians, and I'm going to go from 5 to 11, Colossians 3, 5 to 11. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. Because these things, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are put, you yourselves are to put off these, put off all anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You have put the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcised nor uncircumcised nor barbarian nor scusase, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay. In other words, we're to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things are new again. So if they are new again, why do we act like they're not? Why do we act like it's the same old, same old, same old, same old thing? See, it costs us. Our worship costs us change in behavior. It'll cost you a change on your view on sin. Now, that's a big one. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. 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 Such were some of us. All right, for real, for real, if you were, you know, if you're in the world, you might as well be all out buck wild in the world. Okay? Because it doesn't make a difference, right? Because sin is sin, all right? You could be, you could be, you know, a sin summary guy, or you could be a sin misdemeanor, or you could be the sin felony guy. Okay, you could be, you know, sir, sin a lot. But... Sin a lot. Okay, well, yeah, but that would probably be the guy that's one to hell express. But, you know. But once you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, all that power, all that strength, all that effort you put into sin, we should be seeing us put into being in the kingdom of God. Playing till you don't leave anything, or so you don't leave anything on the field. Okay, it's going to cost us a change in our priorities. Psalm 27.4 One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to, to inquire in his temple. See, when you're in relationship with someone, you want to be around them. There's nowhere else you'd rather be than around them. See, my lovely wife is here, and, and you know, you think back to those days when you were first in love and how you wanted to be around them. And, and people tell like some crazy stories about me and wanting to be around my wife. And, and to the points where, you know, there was one day I, I left work and I left the car door open in the car and I, I'm out. I'm gone. It's a Keith left. He left the car wide open. He, but I wanted to be with. Well, she wasn't my wife then, but I wanted to be my soon to be with my soon to be wife. So when we have relationship with God, we want to be in the presence of our father. You know, it's kind of funny because we hear Christians saying, you know, how much can I get away with and it be all right? Now, the word tells me that I'm, you know, I'm not supposed to say anything about those that aren't in the club. But us, I can talk about a little bit. <laughs> because if we are to be God's own, we should want to be with him. The question of sin shouldn't be, how much sin can I get away before God zaps me? <laughs> That's not what sin's about. It shouldn't be, well, you know, you know, I'm not perfect and God understands I'm not going to be perfect. So, you know, when I mess up, that's that's just the way it is. It should be, you know what, I don't want to mess up because I don't want to make my father be displeased or sad with my behavior. You know, as kids, they used to tell us, you know what, as long as you wear this name, you better never mess up. Well, as long as I wear my father's name, 
the idea of sin is grievous to me. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect. Doesn't mean I'm going to get it right all the time. But the thought of doing something that is unpleasing to my father is enough to get my attention. And as Christians, that's one thing that we need to really, really think about. You know, our attitude about sin's got to be different. How can people say, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this? I'm going to hang out with who I'm going to hang out with. I'm going to marry who I want to marry. I'm going to do all of those other things that are exactly against what the word of God says. But you know what? But I believe a loving God is okay with that. Remember, God cannot be in the same area code as sin. He can't exist with sin. Now, okay, doing pretty good. And check the time because, you know, people people tell me that I, I can be a little long-winded and no. no. All right, yeah, but uh, I think I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm doing okay. So these people are giving me, yeah, people are giving me a little. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a little bit of the application. Five, yeah, five, yeah, five minutes to get ready, to get ready, to get ready. Okay, so if we talk about our application, we talk about what it costs, what worship costs us. But in essence, all we're talking about is the cost of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be an apprentice. It means to be someone who studies the one that he is a disciple of. He attempts to emulate the one he is a disciple of. That's our job. If we go to Luke 9.23 through 26. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed. When it comes when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. What good does it do you if you get everything, if you've got everything, if you've got all the stuff in the world? He who dies with the most stuff wins. All right. What's the age-old line? Have you ever seen a U-Haul behind a curse? Not never, not even ever. I mean, I've seen people buried in Cadillacs or Cadillac replicas or whatever else. But guess what? They're still dead. Okay. And 
I don't know. I can't say. Uh, I can't judge them. But um, I can. I can judge fruit. Uh, okay, I'm gonna leave that alone. Okay. All right. So I just wanted to read this for you in the Weiss translation. Same verses. And he was saying to all, assuming that anyone desires to come after me as a follower of mine, let him disregard his own interests. Let him at once and once for all pick up and carry his cross day after day and let him take the same road with me that I take as a habit of life. That I take as a habit of life. That's what we're supposed to do. Do it as a habit of life each and every day. Now, but the funny thing about habits is once you get in the habit of doing things, it's not as hard as it is when you start a habit. So that's the whole idea of diligently seeking. When you're diligently seeking, you're setting up patterns and, and routines so you get to the point where you now have habits in life, where you follow those habits in life. For whoever desires to save his soul life shall ruin it, but whoever will declare an, a sentence of death upon his soul life for my sake, this one shall save it. For how is a man profited? having acquired the whole world, but having ruined or forfeited himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, and of this one the Son of Man shall be ashamed, whenever he comes in his glory, and that of the Father, and that of the holy angels. See, we're called to a whole different thing. We're called to Worship, we're called to worship, to ascribe worth to a holy God. And then through our ascribing that worth to a holy God, through us having that relationship with a holy God, everything else flows from that. All of the power, all of the anointing, all of the wonders flows from that. All of the way we love our neighbor flows from the love that we learn from a holy God. All that we do, we do not because it gets us in the club. Because, once again, we couldn't get in the club if we tried to get in the club. But we serve a God that's all-powerful. We serve Jehovah Jireh, who's our provider, Jehovah Nisi, who goes before us as our banner. We serve Jehovah Sikinu, my righteousness. Now, I got to just touch on this because this kind of hit me as funny. Corey's a movie guy. Did you ever see the movie Life? Eddie Murphy. But in this movie, they have this guy in this movie called Can't Get Right. All right. And he, he was can't get right because he couldn't talk. And he, he, what we used to call when I was a kid, now I'm not trying to dog the handicap, we used to call flicked it. 
and I was probably in my 30s or later before I realized that afflicted actually was afflicted. <laughs> but when I was a kid, we just used to call him afflicted. So can't get right was afflicted. But you know what? So am I. And if it wasn't for what Christ did for me, what Jehovah Sidkin knew, he became our righteousness. So instead of being can't get right, mm-hmm. glory to God, I can get right. Amen. All right. Amen. Hallelujah. I can get right in God's eyes, which is the only thing that really matters. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you would provide for us all that we need in this life. That you give us an opportunity to ascribe you the worth and the value in our lives. That through us ascribing you worth and value, everything else flows from that. Lord, as a part of our worship, we seek to make you pleased with us in all that we do and all that we are. We just worship you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.